Good morning, everyone. Good to see you for worship. Uh, the Lord Jesus has invited you here um, to worship him this morning, and I'm grateful to be with you in that. Before we get started, a few announcements. As usual, on the back of your bulletin, you'll find uh, more than I will share. Um, the first thing is that we are welcoming uh, Pastor Alan Stanton for our evening message this evening. He is the pastor at Pine Haven down in Clinton, which is uh, the church is actually almost next door to my in-laws home. Anyways, uh, I'm excited to hear from him. We actually went through ordination together, so we have a, a long history. Uh, secondly, the youth are meeting at 7 p.m. In, at the Hills home, and we're looking forward to that. Third, the ladies' Bible study is continuing tomorrow at 11 a.m. in the church library. And due to repairs being done in the Family Life Building, we will not be having Fifth Sunday Supper next Sunday. So do not plan on coming to that. Um, that is all we have to announce this morning. Uh, let's take a few moments to ask God to help us worship Him, uh, to ask the Holy Spirit to be with us as we worship, and we can do that as the music plays. We'll do that now. morning. As Matt said, we are invited to worship this morning. There are also commands in Scripture that command us to worship, and one of those is what we'll be reading this morning for our call to worship. And I want you to listen because the hymn that we'll open with is, is creation, and we've heard two hymns already on all creatures of our God and King. And so, we, as God's creatures, are here assembled to worship and praise God. So I'd ask you to stand for our call to worship. Continue standing through our confession of faith. God calls us this morning from Psalm 96, verses 7 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. 
give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is also firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Let all the trees of the woods, then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The Lord indeed is coming to judge his people, and we looked at Sunday school about what that judgment will look like for those who are his children, that we'll stand in Christ. And so I would invite you to sing the almighty power of God. Hymn number 119, all three verses of hymn number 119. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be here this morning, that indeed as you are present everywhere, but you are especially present in the prayers and the praises of your people. And so we are gathered and assembled here today to proclaim your goodness, to proclaim your praises, to proclaim the greatness of our Savior, and to rest in him, to find our peace in him. And so we come and we ask that you accept our praises, that you would, as you have done, invite us into your heavenlies, into your great throne room, that we might boldly approach through your grace, 
through your mercy, through the peace that you have given to us in Christ, who has taught us as his people to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you'd remain standing, we'll continue our worship with the confession, a confession of our faith that we use this morning, the Apostles' Creed, found in your bulletin. And so the question is asked, Christian, believer, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, As we have confessed and as we have sung already, we learn in our confession of faith in the Apostles' Creed, the second part of the first line, which is maker of heaven and earth, God the Father Almighty, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And this fact alone, that God created everything out of nothing, is is enough to lead us into worship for all time. God made the world, and it is good, and we are not our own. And we follow after our Creator, who has given us our purpose, uh, our abilities. And so we're going to take a moment in personal silent prayer to praise God for who He is, for who He is as our Creator, as the Creator of the world. And we can bring uh, our requests, our needs uh, to him in this time of prayer, or we can simply sit and worship God in prayer as we do that. Um, Perhaps you can ask God to help you, give you direction in how to use your gifts inside the church or outside the church uh, to open up opportunities to love and serve others or to share the gospel. Whatever it is that comes to mind, uh, let's take this time to praise God, to pray and be with him in conversation, and then I'll lead us in a corporate prayer. Let's go to God and pray now.
Dear God, you are great. You're the Almighty. You're the creator of everything that has ever been and will be, and you're clothed with splendor and majesty. You set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. God, you make springs gush forth in the valleys, and they give drink to every animal of the field. And beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches, and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And Lord, you made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, in wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. And we pray, help us, God, to sing to you as long as we live. May our meditations be pleasing to you this morning as we worship For we rejoice in you, Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. God, as we look at the national news week to week, we see the same stories again and again. There's violence. There's fear. There's political drama. There is tax season once again. And as weary as we get with this world, Lord, you never grow weary. You always care for us. You are always involved. And so we pray that you would help us not to be driven by the news cycles, but that you would lead us by the steadfastness of your word and your spirit. God, would you continue to care for this church and bless it as you care and bless your church around the world? Would you care for your people, Lord? We, In particular, we pray you would please protect Montavious Goss, that you would give his family hope in their despair and fear and their deep sadness. God, would you be with uh, the members of this church, those who are sick or hurting, those who are recovering from different procedures. Lord, you are near to the brokenhearted. You are near to those who are hurting. So, Lord, would you bring great comfort God, would you bless this church and its ministries? Would you bless this youth group and our children in our church? Would you bless the women's ministries and all that is going on during this time in this, in the, in this season of our church? God, you have blessed us with a beautiful sanctuary to worship you in. You have blessed us with the physical ability to praise you. And so we thank you. We give you all praise and honor, and we are grateful to be in this place worshiping you this morning. We pray you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. We'll take a moment now to give our tithes and offerings, and this is a moment where, uh, as God instructs us to give, we give to his church. We give without expecting anything in return, but we give with the expectation that God is at work and he is using these tithes and offerings to uh, build his kingdom across the world.
And so take this time to worship as you give. We'll give now. Please pray with me. Lord, as you have uh, given us the opportunity to give, we give. And we ask that you would make use of our tithes and offerings for your kingdom's sake. That you would bless uh, families and people in need in our town. 
and that you would encourage uh, those who we support in the various ministries um, of this church. So God, we thank you for this time to give, and we dedicate all of it to you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, we'll sing hymn number 179, which is Hallelujah, Thine the Glory. Let's continue worshiping God with hymn 179. You may be seated. Well, it's a joy to begin or to continue preaching through the Gospel of Mark. And I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Mark 5, 21. As you turn there, I'll explain how um, chapter 5 is all about Jesus' love for people that are hopeless, people that are desperate, people that are beyond help in the world's eyes. And it's people who are up against a brick wall with no way forward that they can see. And we have learned about a man possessed by thousands of demons And now we're going to look at a woman with an incurable disease and a young lady who is sick and will die from her sickness. And the one thing that they haven't encountered yet is Jesus. And if you have been a Christian for a while or even a short amount of time, you know that Jesus can fix demon possession. You know that Jesus can heal incurable diseases 
that he can raise the dead back to life. And what is amazing about the stories that we're about to read is that Jesus wants to get us, wants to help us get to know him beyond just his works, just the things that he does. He wants us to get to know himself, and we are blessed in that. So let me read our passage for this morning, and then I'll pray for this message. Let's read Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. This is God's word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, And went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for a moment. God, as we come into your word and hear from you once again, we pray you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to the change that only the Holy Spirit can bring. So be with us as we study your word, Lord. Uh, Preach your word, your good news to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Mark likes to take two stories and put them up against each other so that we can compare them and contrast them and learn from them 
as one unit. There's a bond between these two stories of the older woman and the young girl. The older woman's been suffering for 12 years. The younger girl is 12 years old. And we see uh, two different people and their faith in Christ and how their faith plays out. Jesus is once again coming into contact with those who are unclean according to the Jewish laws. Whether it's someone who is in the tombs or possessed by a demon or someone who is in fact dead, Jesus is coming into contact with people who society would not want to deal with, who would not be in contact with. Jesus again becomes unclean himself to make the unclean clean, to make the unclean whole, both physically and spiritually. And so all hope is gone in these two stories, much like it was with the demon-possessed man, but where our hope disappears or where our hope runs out, Jesus defies all human expectations, and he does something beyond our imagination. Uh, This past week I was reading an article about a ministry called Doing Unto Others Mobile Mission. Maybe you've heard about it. It's in Tennessee. I don't know if they've gone outside the state. But Tennessee, uh, well, there's a rural town in Tennessee of about 1,900 people, and the local hospital closed in 2019. And People in desperate need of medical care would have to drive an hour to go to the nearest hospital for care. This is a desperate situation. Uh, It's a pretty terrible situation. And so a local church stepped in and became the hands and feet of Jesus, really, and they started this medical program where they bought six buses and they outfitted these buses with the means and the instruments for different medical care. They can treat things such as our vision. They have vision care. They have dental care. They have psychiatric health care. They have wellness checks. So these buses are driving around the state providing care in places where care is hard to find. They're treating many people who are homeless and many people with chronic unmanaged illnesses. So when word gets around that a bus is coming into town or into an area where there is no medical care, you better believe that when people get word of that, they're lining up for care to get help. Many people who are in desperate need, which is similar to our story, this passage this morning. When word gets around that Jesus is coming through town, people who are desperate flock to him. People who are desperate and in desperate need know that there might be hope in Jesus, that Jesus might be able to do something for their situation. It starts off, our passage starts off with a desperate father whose daughter is about to die at any moment. And he says, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. As Jesus agrees to help on his journey to go see this little girl, his journey is interrupted by an older woman, a woman of low status, a woman who has been uh, deemed unclean, and a woman who doesn't even have a name in our 
passage. Her faith is simple, and she believes that if she can just touch Jesus' clothing, that she would be healed. The synagogue ruler's faith, in contrast to the woman's faith, is, is a little bit different. When Jairus fears, this woman believes. In verse 26, we see more about this woman's suffering. She has a chronic 12-year-long illness that's cost her all of her money, and treatments have not helped. They've only made it worse. And I know many of us can relate to this experience. Personally, uh, I'm currently started uh, physical therapy this past week for my knee, and it's a minor issue, but it makes walking difficult. Um, I hope it gets better, and it is getting better, I think. But I can imagine, uh, as I go to this physical therapist, he doesn't know what the problem is. We've ruled a lot of things out, and he's treating my knee. But I don't know for sure if it's going to get better or worse. I hope it is going to continue to get better. And many of us can relate to visiting several doctors for several different opinions, um, getting several different treatment plans, and then having disappointing results or having complications that follow. But what's different between our experiences and this woman's experience is that she was kicked out of her community, of her society. She was unclean because of her disease. She was ritually, ritually unclean. So she wasn't able to take part in regular worship. She wasn't able to take part in the regular rhythms of Jewish life and society. And so when she sees Jesus, she had heard reports about him, and she has one last glimmer of hope. She cuts through all barriers to see Jesus. And she finally did, touches Jesus, and she's immediately healed, Mark says. But Jesus notices that power has gone out from him. He asks to speak to this woman, or he asks, who touched me? And this terrified woman, who for good reason would be terrified in a group of people, a large group, comes to Jesus' feet, kneels at his feet, and tells him the whole truth. We don't know what the whole truth is, but we can put together some pieces that she tells Jesus about her condition, how she has sought help, how she has gotten worse, and how she has lost most of her hope, and she's desperate. And Jesus responds in such a wonderful way. He says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She is a model of faith, a, a model of faith that stands in comparison to Jairus. This unnamed woman has cut through all social boundaries and has gotten to Jesus in desperation. She has taken all the social stigmas that have been attached to her, and she has said, I'm going to see Jesus. He can help me. But Jesus isn't content just to heal as he goes through these towns. His mission was not to heal as many sick people as possible. His mission was that people would come to know him to put their faith and their trust in him. He wants this woman to know him personally. 
And one commentator, I thought this was interesting, one commentator points out that the Hebrew term behind the word healed uh, can mean save. It's the Hebrew word for save, which is the Hebrew name for Jesus, which is Yeshua, God saves. So it seems that this woman is not just healed, but she is saved by Jesus, both body and soul. Her faith has made her well in every respect. And just then, in the story, after she is healed, Jairus' messengers come up to Jesus and tell him not to come anymore. The 12-year-old girl has died, and Jesus was, it looked like, too slow, or he was too late. There was no more need of a miraculous doctor, or as they say in our passage, a teacher. Death had arrived. But we read in verse 36, Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And the tense, uh, the tense of the word that Jesus is using here is, Keep on believing. Do not fear, keep believing. Keep on believing. Keep trusting God. When Jesus arrives at Jairus' house, we read in verse 39, when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. The group of people mourning the loss of this young girl are laughing at Jesus. They think he is crazy, perhaps. And Jesus, or this group of people know that this young girl is not sleeping. In fact, there's research that says that when someone during this time frame in this Jewish community, when someone died, you would actually hire a group of people, a group of mourners to come as part of the ritual uh, for the funeral. So these people knew for a fact that this young girl was not sleeping. And everyone laughed. And so they might have thought that this Jesus was wrong for stopping to help the older woman. And I read somewhere that if this was an emergency room in the hospital and Jesus had stopped to treat an older person with a chronic illness and someone came in with a knife in their stomach and Jesus continued to treat the older person, Jesus would probably be, I don't know if this happens, but put in jail or fired at least. It is a complete opposite of what you would hope to happen. But Jesus was in fact planning to show Jairus and his family and this little girl something far more awesome and incredible than just healing a sickness. If you read in, with me in verse 41, he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. This is an incredible two-part story. Um, I want to give us two applications of what Jesus is teaching us about himself through this. The first thing is that Jesus wants you and me to know him personally and not just his benefits. Jesus wants you and me to know him personally, not just his blessings and what he brings. And then the second thing is, uh, I'll get to that in a second. 
Let's look at the first application. Jesus wants you to know him personally. We have seen in the Gospel of Mark how Jesus tells people not to go and tell other people what just happened if he does a miracle of healing or something like that. He wants people to know himself. He wants to shape the message of Jesus the Christ and not let word get out that there's this man who can do miracles and maybe he might help you. He's shaping the narrative of how people know him, and he wants people to come to know him personally, deeply. There is a difference between Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, and then what theologians call the ordo salutis, uh, the, the things that Jesus brings with salvation. When you place your faith in Jesus, you are justified, you are adopted, you are sanctified, you are eventually glorified. These are all blessings and gifts that come with our union with Christ by faith. But Jesus wants us to know himself first. And so there are many people who live a religious life, who attend church, who um, enjoy the, the, social, the social structure of church and religious life because it meets emotional needs. Uh, it's part of your structure for your life. Um, it provides mutual support. But many people enjoy those aspects of the church, but they don't actually know and follow Jesus himself. I read a quote from Jack Miller. He's a, uh, the late Jack Miller. He's a pastor. He said this. I thought it was interesting. He said, practical atheists abound in conservative churches as well as liberal ones. These folks attend church and honor the Bible not because they are there to submit everything to the authority of the Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, but because of the emotional need that is met by traditional religious order and moral structure. One man put it like this, even if I didn't believe God existed, I'd fight for him all the way. I'd never miss church and would always insist that my family come too. We need religion in our lives. Otherwise, the bottom would fall out of everything. And so we come to this story, and there is a warning for all of us. Are we enjoying what God has blessed us with in the church? Are we enjoying peace and security and mutual support and missing a relationship with Jesus himself. And so we need to be careful not to value our reputation or our involvement in a local church, perhaps, over personal repentance and faith and trust in Christ. The church is about Jesus. Everything that we do, all the ministries of the church, are meant to bring you and I into deeper communion and relationship with Christ, to enjoy him forever, so that we walk according to his words and join in the kingdom work of God in making disciples of all the nations. And so when we meet Jesus, uh, he's not going to ask us, are you, you know, a member in good standing of a local church? He's going to ask you, do you know me? Do you know me? Or do you only know what I've done for you? Jesus wants you to know him personally, deeply. 
That's the first application. The second one is this. In your waiting, Jesus is working. I know it's kind of catchy. Sorry about that. In your waiting, Jesus is working. Uh, In this story uh, and in our life, a lot of times it feels like God is taking too long to help. While Jairus walked with Jesus to hopefully heal his dying daughter, he stops to talk with the woman. If it were me, I would lose my mind. If I was Jairus and I had just asked Jesus to help, and I thought there was a good chance that Jesus could in fact help, and then he stops to talk to a woman who can be helped later, who doesn't need critical, urgent help, I would lose myself. And Jesus tells him, and he would certainly tell me, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. We are often, I think, I'll speak for myself, impatiently waiting for God. We are impatiently waiting for God. We would, I would say, God, I've been praying about this. I've been waiting. You need to act. I don't see you doing anything. How are you working in this situation? If you don't do something, there's going to be disaster. I can't think of, sometimes, a single reason why God wouldn't be answering my prayer. What is God doing? We think we know the best things for our life. We think we know what we need at all times. But this story shows us that what God is doing in our lives is far more amazing, far more beneficial to us, than we could ever expect or ask for. In the waiting, God is working in our life. In our waiting, God is acting. And what Jairus couldn't know was that God was about to do something far more than he had faith to believe. What the father wanted and what he thought he needed are different than what Jesus had planned to give him. Jesus was not delayed. Jesus was not slowed down. This was his plan all along. And Jesus would give this father blessings that he could not have asked for or known. He would give this father hope in eternity. He would give this father belief in the Son of God who would one day conquer death and raise the dead to new life. He wanted to give this father unfailing peace in God, that even in death there was hope, that there was life everlasting. Jesus wanted Jairus to know him, to follow him, to discover a peace in himself that could not be taken away even by suffering or by war or by anything else. Death has no hold over Jesus, and it isn't the end. And even in death, God is at work. All things, Scripture tells us, work together for the good of those who trust God, who trust in His Son, Jesus, and that good is eternal life with Christ. And so in this passage, we see that Jesus loves Sinners, that he loves people who are desperate and hopeless and in need. And he is not slow 
to answer our prayers. He knows what he's doing in your life and in my life. He knows what we need. And whatever it is that you're waiting for, maybe it's your marriage to get better, maybe it's your depression to go away, maybe it's an addiction to finally be broken, maybe you have physical suffering that you want to stop and be fixed, maybe it's an illness that your children are experiencing, maybe it's fear that you won't financially make it this year or next year, maybe it's the fear of death that is coming sooner rather than later, or maybe it's the fear of being alone, whatever our fears are, whatever we're waiting on God to fix or to solve or to answer, I hope you hear the words of Jesus this morning directed at you, which is, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. God has not forgotten about you. He has not been sidetracked. Your life is not on plan B. It's always plan A with God. He's not delaying. There's simply, it's not very simple, there is more to your story and to my story than we know going on. God is at work in ways that we cannot understand and see and things that are so great that we can't even comprehend them. And so we see that God is doing exactly what he's intended. He will always give us what we need, even when it seems like the opposite is happening. For Jairus to lose his daughter is the worst possible outcome for many of us, and yet Jesus was doing something far greater in that moment of suffering and pain. You can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. You can trust that Jesus is working even when it seems like disaster is the only way forward. As I was studying this passage, I was thinking about how, for me, that believing and trusting and being patient are really difficult for me. Uh, To be patient and wait for God is a prayer that I pray often because I am most often not patient. God often will bring me to a place of desperation. And I've read so many testimonies of other Christians who have walked through suffering where God brings you to a place where you have no other way forward, where you have no solutions to your problem, that's going on. God brings us to those places to open our eyes, to bring us to a deeper trust in him that he is working even in those places and times when we see no way forward. He is working to bring peace in spite of our difficult circumstances. He is working to bring hope and joy into our lives when we have none. And so there is meaning to your pain. There is meaning to your waiting. And God is at work. And I want the faith of the woman in this story. And I wonder if you do too. I think that's what Jesus is after. I think he's looking for people who simply say, help me wait, God. Give me help. 
Jesus loves people who can honestly say, help me trust you as I wait. Help me wait. It's okay to go to Jesus and say, God, I am terrified. I don't know the way forward, and I don't know what you're doing, so please give me faith to trust you, to walk with you, and to be patient and wait for you. As we have heard many times in Scripture, I believe, help my unbelief. That is a prayer of a Christian. Help me believe. Help my unbelief. It's interesting that Jesus approached the cross. And in Mark, we will see how he is, once we get to the second half of Mark, how time begins to speed up. When Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, he gets closer and closer to the cross. And Jesus approaches the cross with with sorrow, with anguish, and with resolve. But Jesus doesn't approach the cross with fear. Jesus didn't become anxious because he trusted his Father and his plan. And this is the good news, that by faith, you are united to Jesus. And that means that God is not judging you for the strength of your faith, for how weak or how strong it is. He is judging you by the object of your faith, which is Jesus Christ. And so in Jesus, by faith, you are righteous, you are holy, you are sanctified, you are loved, you are redeemed. And our faith will ebb and flow. Our faith will go through seasons of great strength when we trust God and we walk with him in confidence. And there will be seasons when our faith will be almost non-existent, where we can only pray, help me, Jesus. And thanks be to God, the object of our faith will never be moved. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will never change. And he is holding on to you and to me, even when our grip is weakening, even when our hand is slipping, he is holding on to us. And so Jesus lives to bring you into a deeper relationship with him. And so he invites you to come and to know him for who he truly is, a lover of sinners, the one who has come to redeem us, to give us life. So know that in your waiting, Jesus is working. Do not fear, only believe. I pray that it encourages you. Uh, Please pray with me. Lord, you know our circumstances. You know each of our situations in life. You know the prayers that we pray, the prayers that go unprayed. God, you are at work, and we pray that you would give us trust, that there are things you are doing in our life that are far more helpful, beneficial, magnificent than we could ever imagine. So, Lord, would you help us in our despair, in our suffering, in our confusion, and give us the faith of this nameless woman who comes to you in total desperation with no other options and knows that you can help. Lord, we come to you this morning and we know that you can help us, that you will guide us, that you can save, and that you will redeem, and that there is a path.
path for us, and you are not waiting, you are not sidetracked, but you are intimately involved with each of our lives because you love us. We thank you for this passage, and we thank you for this time to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand in response to God's grace and his word, with, and we'll sing hymn number 676, which is day by day and with each passing moment. Would you please stand and we'll sing hymn 676. Receive God's blessing and his promise to you as you go and respond in faith with your amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.